0: All I can is to you All you can be Well, welcome back along to the Free Thinker Podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. I really appreciate you joining us today, and I look forward to hearing your feedback on this and on previous episodes. You can find me on my blog at freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com, email me at freedthinkerpodcast.gmail.com, or like me on Facebook by searching for the Freedthinker Podcast. Well, on today's show, I'm going to be responding to a couple of comments made by Dan Barker during his debate with Dinesh D'Souza. So stick around and enjoy the show. <laughs> I once listened to a debate between Dinesh D'Souza and Dan Barker on whether or not religion is the problem with the world. Barker made several comments that I want to respond to, not because they were really all that profound or rationally compelling in favor of atheism, but because they so clearly epitomized the problem with many of the new atheists and their acolytes. While listening to Barker's comments, I had what's, what uh, what's something like an epiphany. Like the person who finally sees the 3D image within the autostereogram after staring at it for hours with your eyes crossed, I finally noticed something that had been right there in front of me all along. I know that I had stumbled over it in the past and possibly had even commented on it, but for some reason it never struck me as a unified idea until that moment when I heard what Barker said. To many of you, this may just be old news, but for me, it was revelatory. So what was it? It is that the new atheists, at their core, can only imagine religion as a kind of Pelagian paganism. The new atheists who converted from Christianity to this particular expression of atheism, with its overt scientism, disdain for religion, and evangelical need to convert the heathen believer and bring them into the fold of the brights, were only loosely Christian, but were very much pagans and Pelagian in their beliefs. If you aren't familiar with those terms or what they mean, let me me explain to you what I mean. Pelagius was a monk in the 4th and 5th centuries, known for his fervent debates with church fathers like Augustine and for the heresy that took his name, Pelagianism. For Pelagius, the biblical concept of original sin was too problematic, and so he argued that we were not born dead in sin or covenantally guilty in Adam, but rather we were all born innocent, though sick. We may be born with a will that is tilted towards sin, but if a person really tried hard enough, they could overcome that tendency for sin and really live a perfect life, pleasing to God on their own merits. Not surprisingly, Pelasius was an, an ascetic, a person who denies all pleasures and comforts of the world. So when he arrived in Rome, he was appalled by what he considered to be the worldliness of the church in Rome, and he blamed bishops like Augustine and their view of, on the free grace of God. He thought that if we held that salvation was wholly a work of God, completely by God's free grace, that it would lead to licentiousness. Augustine wrote once, Grant what thou commandest, and command what thou dost desire which Pelagius railed against. He was horrified at the idea that Christians could only do what was to pleasing to God by a divine gift, that is, by the grace of God. As an aside, I often wonder how he would have handled the book of Romans and Galatians, which teach the free gift of God so explicitly, but sadly, not much of his writings had survived to this day. Now, Pelagius con- was considered a heretic, and his views were considered anathema during the Council of Orange in 529. Church historian Adolf Harnack wrote, quote, There has never perhaps been another crisis of equal importance in the church history in which the opponents have expressed the principles at issue so clearly and abstractly. The Arian dispute before the Nicene Council can alone be compared with it. End quote. Harnack saw the importance of this because the Pelagian heresy has been one of the most pernicious and pervasive heresies ever to embed itself in the church. It was the Pelagianism of the Roman church with its works-based system of indulgences that launched the Protestant Reformation and caused the Protestants to split from Rome. And it's still plagiarism that causes many to crit- criticize Roman Catholicism and modern evangelicalism. While I simply don't have the time to go into a whole cultural and theological study of Western, and particularly American evangelicalism, let me recommend to you Michael Horton's book, Christless Christianity, which is just a tour de force showing that more often than not, what passes for Christianity especially in the West, and especially in America, is not actually historic Orthodox Christianity, but a kind of Christless, crossless, Pelagian Christianity light. Now what comes along with Pelagianism is often a pagan conception of God, the concept that God is very much like us that he thinks like us, that he acts like us, that he believes like us, is our moral peer, would act how we would want him to act, and so on. God is, on Pelagianism, all too human. Now, I have noticed this problematic theological trend in Christianity for some time. I have long been a critic of three movements in American Christianity, the so-called seeker-driven movement, its sister movement, the megachurch, and its kissing cousin, the emergent church movement. If the project of Rudolf Boltmann was to demythologize Christianity and thus perpetuate Christian liberalism, then the project of many seeker-driven and emergent churches alike is to de-theologize Christianity, thus bringing Christian liberalism to full bloom. The similarities of the seemingly odd bedfellows of hyper-consumer-driven, seeker-driven megachurches and vintage, authentic, throwback to mystical rituals emergent Christianity is best illustrated by the fact that those who were buying Gap in the 90s are buying American apparel and thrift store shopping in 2014. They may appear different on the surface, but you don't have to scratch the surface of either very deep to find that they are both the same kind of ecclesiastical nonsense, just marketed to different demographics. They not only confuse the church for the mission field, but both are completely sold on Pelagianism whether they explicitly state it or not. And it is this kind of folk religion that has come to dominate the religious scene in the West, especially in America. So should it really surprise us that this is the kind of Christianity that the vocal atheists are rejecting? Now, for a long time, I have been asking about what denominations the more vocal atheistic uh, apostates had deconverted from because... I wanted to see if they were really familiar with historic Orthodox Christianity or really only this kind of Pelagian paganism that I was seeing in America. The answer was pretty unanimous. The vocal and dogmatic atheist almost always had deconverted from very fundamentalistic, anti-intellectual, woodenly literal, far-right-wing political extremist, legalistic, and often charismatic or Pentecostal churches or denominations. Now, I'm sure there are some out there that are exceptions to the rule, but I actually never had someone say that they came from really a mainline church or a reformed church. I'm not saying that this is because those churches do not have their share of problems or that they never create atheists but I was never told that someone had become a vocal and vociferous atheist having left the PCA, the OPC, or the Missouri Synod of the Lutheran Church, for instance, in favor of a kind of new atheistic Dawkins-esque fundamentalism. While I'm astute enough to know to ask about the kind of church they were deconverted from, and I knew the theological and biblical problems with such legalistic and fundamentalist churches, I still never seemed to put two and two together. That is, until I heard the discussion from Dan Barker. In the debate with D'Souza, I know it's a little past date, it's a little old, but I just re-listened to it recently, Barker made many problematic statements from the garden-variety bald assertions with no substantive argument as support or the assumption of moral realism, which he could not ground on his naturalism, or that he flat-out denied later in favor of cultural relativism, to historical errors about the history of science and religion, even to obvious philosophical errors regarding what he called the dead horse of the ontological argument, an argument having quite a resurgence since Plantinga's revival of it. Yet two comments stood out to me the most because they shone the spotlight on what Barker thinks Christianity is. The first has to do with why Christians do good deeds, and the other has to do with the self-righteousness of those so-called Christians. Barker says, "Millions Millions of good people in this planet, on this continent, live happy, moral, productive, meaningful, purposeful lives without believing in this God. They do good things not because they're afraid of hell or want to go to heaven, but because they care for humanity. End quote. Normally, on a point like this, I would go for the problem of trying to ground moral meaning or purpose in a universe without God, and the fact that Barker equivocates between the objective existence of God and our subjective belief in God. However, what surprised me in this, uh, at this time was more that Barker seems to think that Christians only do good things out of fear of hell or a desire to go to heaven. I suddenly had flashbacks to all of the memes and Facebook threads where atheists have mocked religious believers for only doing good agreed actions to please their quote, invisible sky daddy, end quote, and to avoid being punished. That is, that Christians are only good out of self-interest. I don't know how I never noticed it before, That is not Christianity, but rather is a kind of Pelagian paganism. As an aside, a lot of atheistic philosophers argue that what grounds morality just is self-interest. I don't think that's true, but if you're going to make that argument, that argument cuts both ways. Now, Christianity is the belief that we only do... I'm sorry... Christianity is not the belief that we only do good things to placate the fickle gods, to keep us from falling under their ire and to acquire rain for our crops. It is, it is not the view that we do good deeds and avoid evil ones in order to earn blessings and avoid curses from the capricious divinities. Paul says in Romans 5, 6, and 11, For while we were still weak, Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Notice that Paul does not say that we earned our salvation by doing good things or that we avoid God's wrath by avoiding evil. In fact, we are scarcely even mentioned in the passage outside of the fact that we are utterly passive recipients of everything Christ has done for us. It was while we were still sinners that we were saved, not while we were good people working really hard to appease God. It is because of the death of Jesus in our place that we avoid the wrath to come. In fact, Christianity just is the position that we aren't good enough, that we do not and indeed cannot do enough to merit God's blessing. We can't do enough such that God owes us anything, let alone his blessings. So why do we do good works? It is patently not to earn our salvation or God's favor. Paul expressly says that it is a, quote, not a result of works so that no one may boast, end quote. I wonder if Barker ever preached on this during his tenure as a pastor, and if so, what did he do with the text? How did he preach it to his congregation? Did he tell them that they must work very hard, very, very hard, and avoid hell and earn heaven? That is the Santa Claus theology. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout. I'm telling you why, because Yahweh is watching and will get you. God, to the Pelagian pagan, is a boogeyman who they pretend to love. This leads us into the second statement that Barker made. He said, quote, The Bible is not a book that any self respecting individual should dare to be seen carrying under their arm. And I used to preach that an in group of the true believers versus those that are outside. Those of you who are true believers probably feel that, don't you? When you're in your church or your congregation, you feel this specialness, don't you? This warmth, you know, loving each other, but there are those outsiders out there. There's those secular humanists. Ooh, They're threatening our country, and you have this feeling that we are called and special in some way, and we have a truth, and I used to preach that, and I used to feel that. Paganism through and through. And no, Mr. Barker, I don't feel that way at all, not even close. If that is the kind of religion that Barker had and is objecting to and wanting others to object to as well, the kind of self-righteous, judgmental, us-versus-them religion, then Barker is not alone. He should carry that Bible under his arm. Jesus' only condemning remarks were not toward prostitutes or tax collectors, the the group classically defined as the sinners, His scorn was directed towards the self-righteousness of the religious elites, the ones who saw the sinners as the untouchables, who would walk on the other side of the street to avoid contact with them, who thought that they had it all figured out and had kept the whole law, and that somehow made them better, more righteous, or more worthy of God. That is, Jesus would have condemned Barker as a preacher. If you take the time to read through the prophets and their message to Israel about why God is judging them and sending them into captivity, it wasn't just because they hoard themselves out after other gods. It was also because they did not act justly or mercifully or protect the orphans and the widows and the poor and the oppressed. They increased people's poverty rather than forgiving debts. They stole from the poor rather than showing charity toward them. They got rich off of religion rather than recognizing their own spiritual poverty and turning to God in repentance." They made it impossible for the poor and the lowly sinner to come with their humble offerings to receive forgiveness at God's mercy seat. It is exactly the kind of self-righteousness, legalistic, Pelagian paganism that Dan Barker used to preach that God himself said that he loathes in the Bible. Yet, this is what Barker admits he used to preach. This is the Christianity, quote unquote, that he is rejecting this is what he used to feel superior because of his righteousness he thought that being called by God meant that he was better that he was chosen because he was of a finer stock than everyone else that Christianity divides humanity between the superior and the inferior I can only imagine the kind of church he built fundamentalistic based on wooden literal readings of the Bible, chock full of self-righteous believers who would scoff when a real sinner would walk through those doors. Sure, they would sing hymns, Come Ye Sinners, and shed big crocodile tears about how they got angry at someone at work and would plead with God to forgive them. But if they ever saw a prostitute or a heavily addicted drug addict, or a secular humanist haunt the church sanctuary, it would be all leers for the rest of the service. People muttering, what is he doing here? Doesn't he know that this is a church? This is not the place for those kind of people. The great irony of this is that, as the old cliche goes, the church is not a resort for the saved, but a hospital for sinners. Did Dan Barker never read Romans 9, 10 through 12? It states, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous but the sinners End quote. We often miss what this is a passage about. We think tax collectors and sinners and well we just think that that means people who make mistakes. When Rome conquered an area, rather than installing Roman officials, they would often hire locals to the job to do the jobs for them. Those people knew the customs and the people in the areas and where the money could be hid. A tax collector was hired by Rome from the people. So in this context, the tax collectors are Jews who had been hired by Rome to collect taxes from the people, and they didn't get paid for it. There quote-unquote, income was whatever they charged above and beyond what Rome would demand. You see, Rome didn't say taxes were 5% this year. They would tell the tax collector for a reason that they had to deliver X amount of taxes that year. And so the tax collector would figure out what they needed to do to charge the people to get enough to pay Rome. And they would often tax a lot more than that To get rich off this little racket the tax collector was not just someone who had made some small moral mistakes they were someone who was viewed by their fellow Israelites as a traitor to their own people who sided with the violent oppressors of the wicked Roman Empire who were keeping Israel under their boot They were not just morally questionable. They were loathed. you got to imagine what the tabletop conversation was between Matthew, also called Levi, who was one of these tax collectors, a traitor to their people, who worked for Rome, and others like Simon the Zealot. A zealot was one who was fiercely anti-Roman it would have been fun to sit at that table and yet here was Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners they were like the untouchables in India poor and destitute and dirty and unwanted or loath because they were traitors those were the very people Jesus chose to eat with and more than that to love he was radically countercultural by saying that he didn't come to save the Pharisees and the priests and the scribes and the religious leaders, but the poor and the sick and the infirmed and the oppressed. If Jesus came back, I often think that he would not come to church, but would go to the slums and the projects and the homeless shelters. And so what in the world was Dan Barker preaching when he was a pastor? I hardly recognize it because it's not the gospel that I know and love. It is not the gospel of the church. If you are at a church where sinners are not welcomed, then what are you doing there? Because, friend, you are a sinner, If you're at a church where God is not praised for bringing those people in to hear the good news about how Jesus loves them regardless of who they are, what their past or present circumstances are, or what sins they have committed, and that no sin is so grotesque as to make them unworthy to believe and be saved and to be loved by Jesus Christ, then you are at a Pelagian pagan church. Church, What your church is doing is showing you how to placate an angry sky deity and work to earn its favor. That is not the gospel. It seems that the new atheists are railing against Pelagian paganism. And should it surprise us, the Bible resoundingly rejects it as well. It denies works-based salvation and the placating of deities made with human hands. It condemns that kind of self-righteousness in no uncertain terms, right along with murder and theft and adultery. So do Dan Barker and his ilk even realize that they're not rejecting Christ but Zeus, they're not rejecting Christianity, but Pelagianism. Well, thank you again for joining us here on the Freed Thinker podcast. Again, if you'd like to message me, you can find me on my blog at freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com. You can email me at Podcast at or find me on Facebook by searching for Freed Thinker Podcast. Thank you very much, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.